Yeah. And then Jorge was ever to speak, I said, don't get in that trap. Yeah. Yeah. It's caught him. Yeah. That's what I tried to do. Yeah. 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 Because I get put all the time. I, I, I cook the horse. So. Yeah. 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 so that's the yeah. Then I tried to let him go. You know? And I don't want to speak. Two or three. I don't have a single That's what I tried to learn. <laughs> Okay, guys, um, I think we're going to get started so we can get out of here at 7 30. Um, today, you, this is the third of five digital workshops in the digital workshop series here at the Kennedy School. Um, I'm, my name is Ramchand. I'm part of the Digital Advisory Board here at the Shorenstein Center. And we are working closely with the Shorenstein Center to meet the growing demand here at the Kennedy School for some very practical, skills-oriented digital workshops. Um, we've had a pretty good attendance at the past few workshops, which some of you may have attended. And we're hoping that these can continue well into next year as well, and hopefully go from being a supplement to the course curriculum to actually become embedded and integrated within the current classes that are offered here at the Kennedy School. Um, today's uh, topic is building an online community, as you can see. Um, I can I can just see from just from the people I know in this room, there is a very diverse set of backgrounds, interests, and degree programs here at the Kennedy School. And I think regardless of what your trajectory is upon leaving here, um, this is an incredibly essential skill set to have. We're very lucky today to have um, someone who is a huge name in online global uh, activism. You don't have to take my word for it. You can query the Google gods if you have your laptops, and you'll see his name come up again and again. Um, ben is no stranger to Harvard. He actually was an undergraduate here at the college, um, graduated in 2003. He worked with developmental economist Jeffrey Sachs when he was here. He is also working with Al Franken, as you all know, he's a senator from Minnesota. Um, Al Franken had a study group, an incredibly popular one, when he was here. They had 700 applicants for only 14 spots, and Ben was lucky enough to be one of those 14 people. Um, upon graduating, Ben later went and worked um, some more with Al Franken. He was a producer for Al Franken's uh, show on Air America. Uh, and he also worked with another guy who was elected senator for the state of Ohio, um, Sherrod Brown. And more recently, he's been working with Avaz.org. Uh, Avaz.org, uh, it's for the guys, anyone has a laptop and wants to get online, it's A-V-A-A-Z. Org. If you guys haven't heard of it, it's been an incredibly successful um, online uh, community for activism. It was founded just two years ago in 2007, and they've already gotten just under 4 million members signed up already. Um, they advocate for a wide range of issues, everything from climate change to poverty. Um, ben is the U.S. campaign advisor for Avaz.org. And I think you guys can all um, join me in welcoming Ben Wickler to the Kennedy School. Uh, thanks so much for joining all of us uh, today. This is Building an Online Community, Implications of Social Media for the Policy Professional, uh, a name obviously chosen for the acronym. 
uh, specifically, what I'd like to talk about today is what sort of the internet is useful for uh, and things that it's not so useful for. And then I'm going to argue that email is particularly useful. And um, the practical skill building part, we'll be talking about how to do um, really good email stuff. Uh, it's not the only it's not the only way to go. I think there's a strong case for it being the best. Um, that'll be about 45 minutes, and then uh, for the second, I guess the last half hour, I'd be happy to do Q and A Q &A about um, what we just talked about or anything else that might be useful. Um, so let's start with why. Um, so the internet obviously is a, a big deal. We're now um, I think 1.4 billion people who have email addresses, 1.7 billion people use the internet, uh, it's exploding. And working in government or politics or policy or advocacy, uh, it can feel as though one ought to be using the internet effectively. And I'd like to actually dispute that idea. Um, I don't think that there's anything particularly special about it. Um, I just think that it's a useful tool if it can help you do something that you want to do. And so uh, there's a lot of a lot of people working in the kinds of fields that uh, we all work in or hope to work in. Uh, a lot of people have sort of internet anxiety and a feeling that if their organization doesn't have uh, a blog, a great Facebook page, a, a Twitter feed, an email list, a YouTube channel, and all this stuff, then it's not doing a good job. Uh, and a corollary to that is people feeling as though if they do all those things, then they are doing a good job. And I think both of those are really untrue. The fact is, uh, you know, if you're trying to reach a particular audience and that audience uses the internet, then it can be a great way to reach them. Um, it has a lot of, you know, for Avaz, we it's kind of the engine of, of all of our advocacy. We use it to um, mobilize people to, you know, contact their governments or um, donate funds to uh, to be able to do stuff. But there's there's lots of different, you know, models for using the internet. And one of the funny things that you'll see is like, um, you know, some of the most kind of uh, the savviest organizations that use the internet um, have terrible websites. Uh, and there's a good reason for that, which we'll get into in a little while. So the first thing I'd like to say is if you're feeling internet anxiety, um, it's not helpful to you. I'd, I'd suggest leaving that uh, on the table as you leave today. Uh, and you know, only, only use the internet and, and use social media and all this stuff if you feel like it's actually going to uh, get you someplace you need to go. Now that said, it, it really can and it, it can be really useful. So, uh, a couple of, of quick examples. One is the Center for American Progress. Center for American Progress is a uh, tremendous progressive think tank based in Washington, D.C. This is their homepage. As you can see, there's a huge amount of content on it. Uh, it's very exciting. Uh, CAP is one of the smartest kind of policy organizations using, you know, in the, in the online space. And the reasons for that have nothing to do with this page. Their homepage is uh, almost irrelevant to the, to the best stuff that they do. This is one of their blogs. Um, so for Center for American Progress, their idea, you know, what they do is they give um, kind of frames and policy information to policymakers and also to people in the media. And um, their, their strategy for doing that, like, the fact is that people don't really go to websites in general unless there's something exciting or interesting or undressed or um, you know a baby laughing or whatever on a website that affects them to it. And on uh, Think Progress, which is one of their blogs, they have you know a sort of steady stream of 
of, of, of cool stuff. And so even though on their website they have like every issue you could care about, they have you know links to briefings about all kinds of stuff. Uh, blogs like Think Progress, uh, well, you can see what the, the traffic statistics look like. Um, they have more than a what was it? They have something like 36 million unique visitors a year to their um, uh, to their blogs, and like six million unique visitors to their um, to their non-blog websites. This is just for them, right? No. It's just for them. Is there a correlation here, though? Like, if their website was better, maybe they'd have more traffic, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd argue that the answer to that is no. Almost nobody has a sufficiently interesting website that it's a draw in itself. Uh, basically, um, for our, for almost everyone, either you need well. Uh, Either you need like you know blogs or something that's an attraction, or you need email, which is, will be the big thing we talk about in a second. Um, but even if if you think about the biggest sites in the world, like YouTube, for example, YouTube.com, the front page gets very little traffic. Almost all of their traffic goes to the pages within YouTube to actual videos, and most of the views of YouTube videos come from videos that people put on other sites. Um, so I guess the the point of what I'm saying here is not that you should definitely have a blog, it's that you shouldn't care too much about your front page of your home page. It's basically a business card. And I think, you know, in terms of the resources of, of your own time or your organization's time, you'd be pretty, you'd do fine literally just having your business card information on the front page of your home page and then thinking about, you know, that's, that's what people are, are generally looking for if they come to your site, and thinking about um, what it is that's going to connect to your sort of community or audience for other stuff. Um, for the question of whether to do a blog, I think the, the one argument for doing a blog is if you actually have uh, people who are writers who are going to bring a good voice to it and can do it regularly. And so um, what's not useful is having a blog where you basically post links to press releases or you know you, you do something aside from, uh, from writing a blog. It's the same, it's, it's sort of like, um, like people read blogs for the same reason that they read magazines or watch television shows, which is that they're actually interesting. Um, and so, if you if you you know don't have time to actually make it um, really solid, it's, there's, there's really no reason to, to have one. And you can do all kinds of great stuff, you know, through the internet or in the world without a blog. In their case, they have great blogs, uh, so that's been very successful for them. Um, the other thing that they do is that they have a whole bunch of different email lists. And for Center for American Progress. Um, their strategy is not to get as many people as possible, it's to get the people that they're trying to reach. The magical thing about email is that it is a push medium, it comes to you, and people generally treat their inboxes kind of like a to-do list. So, you know, they try to get through all the email that, that comes at them. Center for American Progress does a lot of work to reach out to actual you know, people in agencies, people in uh, congressional staff, and subscribe them to emails that are super relevant to, to what they're doing. And the result of that um, is that the, the kind of bang for the buck of, of, of them sending emails really high. Uh, for, so, so that's for sort of a general policy media shop. Um, what I do is organize. And organizing is, you know, uh, I think connected to, to lots, of, lots of different stuff. Advocacy organizations and political campaigns are the two um, kind of biggest pillars of, uh, of, of online organizing at this point. Uh, and, and for those two things, uh, this is a handy rule of thumb, websites rule, email rule. Email is really the, the, the key to the whole thing. 
And if you look at, like, this is the front page of our website. Doesn't matter. This is an email. This is where our traffic comes from on our site. Uh, it's just overwhelmingly driven from email. And for political campaigns and advocacy organizations that use email uh, for organizing, uh, the only parts of your website you really need to care about are the pages that are linked to from your emails. Yeah. Can I ask when that data, what the date? This, this represents uh, traffic from January 1st to today of uh, this year. Um, Facebook is a growing share, which I'll discuss <coughs> briefly for my next slide. Is Twitter yeah. also growing as well? Twitter is growing a bit. Twitter, uh, Facebook is just way, way, way bigger than Twitter. Like most people, there's a lot of people that send tweets. Very few people actually read most tweets. <laughs> um, so if you are looking for an opportunity to write more short messages, I recommend Twitter really highly. Outside of that, it's it's a lot less powerful than, than email and less powerful than Facebook as, a, as an organizing tool. Yeah. Is this applicable to all types of campaigns that you do, or is, there, is that very? Yeah, I mean, the exception would be campaigns that are about, like, hey, everybody, let's all tweet you know, messages about this person, and then Twitter's a bigger deal. But pretty much everything we do, this is what the reference like. Yeah. Um, are you going to talk about sort of how many emails and how frequently you send out the emails that get you this? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So just to clarify, so you're saying the website, so email is a great way to get traffic to your website, but ultimately it seems to me that you're still trying to get people to come to your website. Well, the thing is, so in our case, what we want people is to, what we want people to do is to take actions, and so. Um, most of the actions that we'd like people to take, they have to actually come to our website to do it. So signing a petition or you know, sending an email to a leader. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's why the website is a useful thing. But there's other kinds of campaigns for us, like asking people to call governments. We'll, just, we'll, we'll send them the phone number and then the impact, yeah, in the email itself, and then the impact of that comes from the email. For an organization like Center for American Progress, it's really about information that they're trying to distribute. And so for them, they don't think of um, clicks through to their website as an important metric to, to evaluate the success of the emails. Yeah. Um, I'm on ours.org list. And how did you uh, compile all those emails? It's, like, it's a vast list. You know? uh, it's all entirely come from people, from word of mouth, of people sending emails to other people and, and people signing up. So you probably signed a Navas petition at some point or uh, you know, participated uh -huh. in a campaign. And, uh, yeah. and that's how you got on our list. Yeah. Is is there a point at which pushing out a lot of emails begins to get diminishing returns and recipients just delete them automatically without even opening them? Yeah. So the key thing uh, to sort of email organizing or email um, this kind of email work is sending emails that people actually want to get. Um, at Avaz, we have a pretty strict practice of sending a ran uh, emails to a random sample of our members before uh, before we send their, our full list and looking at the reaction. And if there's not a certain level of interaction, <coughs> so for example, if it's a, if it's a petition, if, um, if less than a third of people actually click the link in the email to sign the petition, then we don't send it to the list because that's, that's the signal from our members that they're not that interested in the, in the message of the campaign. Uh, different groups have different ways of estimating that. You can look at the unsubscription rate, you can look at the um, whether the open rate goes down over time, and you know there there are some groups that people's sort of appetite for email varies most most of all depending on how useful they're finding your email. So 
uh, if you have an, you know, if you have a weather update, that might be something everyone, people want every day. Um, for an organization like us, generally the appetite is sort of one or two messages a week. Um, before a really big moment, like during the Copenhagen Climate Summit, we sent, uh, I think it, by the end it was, you know, two or three emails a day. And there was a high tolerance for that because it was a, you know, a huge moment that we'd been, you know, our, we'd pulled our list, there was a huge interest in it. Um, but the, 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 only, the critical and the only critical thing is sending messages to people um, that connect with them and, and what they're interested in. And, you know, it's a, it's a quick road to, to know where to send messages that people don't want. Yeah. Um, what size of a list do you need to get to uh, to be able to run experiments like you're talking about um, with, uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, so well, it depends on the type of ask that you're making of people. So um, to use petitions as a, uh, an example, they're sort of bread and butter for online organizing. Um, you just have to kind of do the math backwards from the, the size you need to get a statistically valid sample. So. Um, if you're looking at, like, typically sort of 15 to 20 percent of people will ultimately open an email, and then um, for us a really strong email, half the people will click. Um, for a, a not so good one, maybe you know, a quarter. And so that means like five, like five percent, um, five percent of the list will actually click through, uh, five to ten percent. And so, like. When we send random samples, they're usually like 5,000 or 10,000 people, and we wait a few hours and we can tell. Um, but even if you have a 25,000 person list, it's worth sending a test of a couple thousand to see how interesting it is, because the other 23,000 would be delighted to have their, their time saved by not receiving your, you know, your message to display. A uh, couple more questions, and then I'd like to, uh, I'll move through the presentation, uh, and then I'm sure there'll be a lot more. Yeah. Just related to that, um, so for example, I, I sent out a, a, a weekly sort of easy digest kind of thing, um, and we our list is about twenty five thousand people. So I just want to clarify so that for our weekly easing, should we be sending out a test, or is this for just something that's a new, that we're, we're having like a new ask, like a new action that we want our subscribers to take to do the test? So in your case, it's more of like a newsletter? Yeah, but um, we also have like promotional emails that we send out as well throughout the week. The I would guess that the, the newsletter is something people have a really clear sense of what it's going to be each week, mm -hmm. and for that you could... I mean, one of the things we do is we, we just pull our list regularly, random samples, and say, like, if you feel like you've been getting too many emails or suggestions on how we can improve, stuff like that can be really useful for getting feedback. Also, just looking, you know, looking at if there's particularly high unsubscription rates on one message. Um, after someone unsubscribes from our list, we have a form that they, where, where we ask them, like, why did you unsubscribe? And that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, the, I think for the, for the other promotional things, that might be a case where, you know, it's more unexpected and, and not the same thing each time. So there, there you might want to predict, pay particularly close attention to the metrics. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the question is, if uh, don't you don't you think that it's a little bit tricky to say that the email is the the dominant medium because the email is the whole web. So so the problem is how to build a community. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, the email. That's, we'll, that's, we'll, uh, that's what we're, we're going to uh, start moving into. Um, so the last thing I, before that we get into how to use email to do something, to do something um, a quick note about Facebook. Uh, there's a number of ways to try to sort of engage people on Facebook. Um, you can create a group, 
you can create a page, people can fan the page, or they can join the group. Uh, and a lot of organizations put a lot of work into creating a page that um, lots of people fan, and then they post <coughs> news updates, and those show up in people's news feeds. Uh, we've experimented with that. We have a, an active page. Uh, we talk to lots of groups to do that. I don't really recommend that as, as the key way to go. And the reason for that is that um, you know, if you post an update from your Facebook organization's Facebook page, it, it's part of the ever-flowing river of Facebook updates that, that go past people. And the like 100,000 email subscribers, I would say, are 10 to 100 times as valuable as 100,000 fans on a Facebook page. It's a, it's a really extraordinary uh, you know, how much more responsive people are to, um, to email than, than to Facebook updates. But that said, Facebook is actually incredibly powerful in the following case, when people actually post your stuff to their Facebook feeds. So that's the point of this slide. This is a, uh, I just pulled off a page on our site. Um, 9,535 people pressed the share button on that page and it posted to their Facebook feeds. And essentially, um, people's willingness to share content on Facebook is much higher than their willingness to forward emails to lots and lots of people. So if I get an email that I like, I might send it to you know my wife and my dad, uh, who are here instantly. Um, uh, but I wouldn't send it to 1,500 people, whereas I regularly share things on Facebook, and you know, 1,500 people on Facebook will, you know, will have the opportunity to see those. Even if only a small fraction of them see them, it could still be, you know, effectively hundreds of people. Uh, so really prioritizing, you know, if you have content that you want other people to help push out, um, I would say really make it as easy as possible for them to uh, share it on Facebook. Unfortunately, you just have to grab a little piece of code off the Facebook website to do that. We're going to talk about this. Um, any other questions about that, or we'll dive into the email? Yeah. Really quick question. Um, I wonder if, if this advice would be different if someone is looking at a purely American audience, or if they actually have a global campaign where they're trying to get people from <coughs> other countries where Facebook and email might be at sort of different levels of popularity and engagement. And I wonder if it's sort of the same in every country, or if it's just, if it's just just advice for those looking for American audiences and the way that Americans are digitally connected. So I'm actually, um, I do, you know, organize uh, our U.S. campaigns, but I, I, uh, uh, I run all of our global climate campaigning and, and a number of other campaigns. Um, this is this is what we found the whole world over. Facebook is reaching is more popular in a number of other countries than it is in the U.S. Um, and is you know of, of growing significance. Email is still. Uh, you know, three or four times as many people are, are on email as on Facebook. I'm watching uh, the Buzz video on there. <laughs> um, the you know, we, we do often country by country breakdowns of where where sort of growth and where uh, where traffic is coming from, and these these ratios, broadly speaking, uh, hold. Israel, for some reason, is very very Facebook uh, oriented. Um, uh, some places, you know, block like some. France for you know, sort of um, uh, discussion with internet service providers about um, delivering our email, so their other channels are more important. But, but generally speaking, this is um, this is what we have all over the place. Okay, so email. Uh, we all know bad email is spam. Um, I propose that good email can be like delay or a tofurkey or whatever vegetarians think is equivalent to delay. Um, it's, uh, good email is actually a great 
communications medium. And in a way, I think it's analogous to radio in the sense that it's something that um, when you get a, a good email from an organization, um, uh, it's like getting a message from a, a personal message from a friend that arrives in, in a similar format to a message that a friend might send you. The same way that radio sounds like, you know, it can sound like an individual person whispering in your ear, um, good, uh, good political or uh, or nonprofit emails can actually, um, you know, have some emotional punch. They can be like a speech. Um, on the uh, Obama campaign, the people who wrote emails were actually like right up there with the speechwriters in terms of actually really developing their um, uh, sense of the, the candidate <coughs> campaign staff's voice. And you know, like a like a great speech, good emails can actually travel all over the world and, and have a have a significant impact on stuff. Um, also, like like uh, uh, a speech, there are some sort of tricks of the trade to good emails that can, can make a gigantic difference for how people respond. So I'd like to uh, welcome you to the secret formula that underlies um, the Obama presidency, uh, Abbas.org's global list, and, and much else in this world, which you can see here. Um, this is basically the outline for almost all good organizing emails from groups on every issue in all languages that I've interacted with. Um, and this is what we'll be walking through. Um, and uh, if we had more time, I'd invite everyone to, to practice writing an email according to this formula. Um, but I encourage you to do that in your free time. The elements are as follows. Uh, Chrysotunity is a, a word coined by Homer Simpson. Uh, Homer was informed by, I think, his daughter that the Chinese uh, uh, character for crisis is also the Chinese character for opportunity. And he said, oh, Chrysotunity. Uh, Chrysotunity is a crisis and an opportunity. And the, the sort of key thing, the key way to, to start an email is by um, going straight to the straight to the Chrysotunity of the moment. Um, one of the big mistakes in email as in rhetoric is starting with a long preamble. Uh, a good email organizer once, uh, once said, you should write a great email and then delete the first paragraph, and then you probably got something pretty good. Uh, start with the Christ-Tunity. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Next is the reader-focused theory of change. Uh, this again, so so the, what the reader-focused theory of change is, is an argument for why uh, the person reading this email can make a difference. And so, in other words, it's not just uh, you know, global warming is a crisis, let's fix it. It's global warming is a crisis. Uh, you know, President Obama is, is carefully watching public reactions, and our voices now can make a, a decisions about what to do next. You have to ground, um, ground your, your, your argument to ask people to do something in a, um, an argument for why it's actually going to matter. And this is where bad emails generally fall down. And the next thing is an ask that's clear. Um, uh, not so much for newsletters, but for any kind of organizing email, there's one ask per email. And it should be crystal clear what it is that you're asking people to do. Um, then you can put the link. Then supporting information, uh, buttressing any of the above stuff. Ask again, another link. Uh, we, we test you know, different numbers of links, and it's not an iron rule, but generally giving people a few opportunities to, um, to pay attention is useful. Uh, and then the movement story. Um, now, the fact is most people have stopped reading well before the movement story down here. 
but the idea of the movement story is an argument for why what, what you're doing matters, even if you don't win this particular fight. Uh, it's, a, it's an appeal to underlying principle, it's a sort of you know, pulling out to a larger context, um, and for people that really care about whatever it is that you're engaging them on, uh, this can actually be sort of a sustaining force. Uh, and then, thank you, and then the PS, which is often the most read or second most read part of the email. Um, something we don't always remember to do at Avads, but it's uh, well recommended. Um, the, the most important stuff here is the stuff above the first link. Most people, I think eye tracking studies find that people spend like three seconds on an email. Uh, typically, they open it, scan for what they want to do, and the, your, your biggest goal is to give them a concise you know, chance to decide um, whether they want to engage. We have the, the sort of philosophy at Avaz that we treat our members like the presidents and prime ministers who we have just a second to brief as they walk down the hall. And our first, uh, our first job is to, to tell them what it is that we want to talk to them about and you know, basically sketch out our argument. And then they can decide whether to, deep, to, to dig in further. Um, you know, if you if you value your your readers' time as much as, as they do, um, they don't mind if you send them a lot of email if they can quickly figure out if they actually want to do something with it or not. The most annoying thing is when people have to dig to you know, to figure out whether they want to engage. Yeah. Can you just clarify what minute is the link? What you're talking about, and also the PS. Yeah. So we're going to go through an example of each of these in a second. But link basically means, in my case, www.boz.org. Uh, slash, um, you know, sign the climate petition or whatever. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but like, what about things like bold, big text size, and certain things? Are you going to get into that later? We'll get into that a bit. Yeah. Um, but the, the short, I don't have a slide on bolding. The, the short answer on putting bold text in an email is the, the ideal thing is that the email is scannable so that people can just read the bold parts and get a sense of what's going on. Um, there's a, uh, if using, you know, a little bit of bold is better than using no bold text. Using a lot is probably worse than using none. Uh, and there's a temptation when you're writing something that you really care about to put a lot of it in bold, uh, which we said don't do too much in the box. Um, but I'd better you to use, uh, don't be too bold in your bolding. <laughs> Graphics? Uh, graphics, you know, we we go back and forth. We just did another test today and found that an image in the email we were sending uh, slightly depressed the amount of people that clicked through. So um, one thing to remember is that Gmail and I think increasingly Yahoo and Hotmail have uh, graphics turned off by default. And most people have no idea that you can click the place where it says click here to turn your graphics on, to turn the graphics on. Um, graphic, you know, I, I think generally you're you're better off not worrying too much about the, the formatting and images and stuff. Other uh, quick question? Yeah, and you might be getting this later, so cut me off if you are. But I was gonna recommend using tiny URL as like a cheap way to see how many people are clicking through. Yeah, that's a so you know one if you're starting from scratch, there's there's lots of tools you can use to, to tell how many people click. It's just one of the most important things is to, to pay attention to them. Um, so why don't I, let's, let's get into this and then I can, uh, uh, we can talk more about it. So first one is the Christitude. This is fairly somber. I'm going to use as, a, as an example um, the email that you see here. Um, this <coughs> is uh, a campaign of buzz launched in February. Uh, it's about a proposed law in Uganda that would make 
uh, the death, uh, homosexuality punishable by death. And it's something that, um, uh, well, you'll, you'll see the argument in the course of the, in the, course of the emails. So, and I should say this, this, this particular email um, generated a, a tremendous international response. I think from this email alone, uh, 250,000 people signed a petition. Um, it raised, uh, I think, ten or twenty thousand dollars after that. But then we emailed everyone who signed the petition and raised another hundred and fifty. And we're using that to run opinion polling in Uganda about this proposed law and uh, support a coalition of church leaders and, and uh, uh, rights activists and stuff in Uganda that are working against it. It's you know, so this basically this email we're walking through is actually now a, a fairly potent. It's the, the wellspring of a fairly potent force in this um, in this debate. So, um, the crisis unity. Uganda's parliament is preparing to pass a brutal new law that would punish gay people with prison and even death. With the decision expected in days, only an irresistible wave of worldwide pressure will be enough to save Frank's life and many others. Uh, in this case, we just there's a picture of Frank and just a quote from Frank. Um, he's an Abbas member of Uganda. Uh, as you can see, this is time bound. Deadlines make a big difference. Don't send people an email about something that will happen in a month. Uh, in this case, the government actually has responded to the international criticism by delaying the decision. So it looks like we might actually have a month at this point. Um, when we said that, we definitely didn't. And the, you know, the, we, we actually find often a stronger response for um, saying, this is happening tomorrow, let's do everything we can right now, than we do for saying this is happening in two weeks where there's enough time to build momentum. Um, Again, it's you know, putting yourself in your reader's shoes. It's you can put it off if it's not happening really soon. So, um, and, and if you test it and it doesn't do that well, it might actually be worth testing again close to the deadline because that can really change the focus. Well. Uh, reader focused theory of change. So this is the uh, this is in the quote from Frank in the email. If there's a huge global response, our government will see that Uganda will be internationally isolated by the proposed law and strike it down. Um, so this goes directly to uh, the reader being asked to sign this petition. You know, it's, it's an argument from a, a credible um, uh, source that actually the international response that, that, that will be manifested in this petition um, could matter. Then they ask, let's build a huge petition to stop the gay death law. That's an awkward phrase. Uh, click here to take action, then forward this email. Said sign the petition a, a couple sentences before. Um, this is, uh, you know, asking people directly to do the thing you're asking for, and then asking them to forward it. One of the, you know, one of the key things here is just not being shy about asking people to do the thing you're asking for. Um, I uh, worked with MoveOn.org on the election campaign, and uh, one email that. Uh, we tested, had the same ask six times in a row, and it actually had a really strong response. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, you don't want to get too annoying, but don't, don't shy away from asking people directly to do the thing that you want them to do. Um, so support. So by support, I mean um, preempting questions that people will have, the sources of skepticism about why, you know, especially about the, the theory of change, about why this is a good idea or why it's worthwhile. Giving factual background, um, giving uh, so in this case uh, the petition will be delivered because of the seventy, uh, etc. If you're doing a petition, very good idea to explain how it'll be delivered. 
Uh, lots of bad online organizing efforts uh, involve building petitions that don't actually go anywhere. They're just efforts to build email lists. Uh, we try to make it a you know, sort of pride not to do that, but it's also, you know, people are rightly very skeptical of this kind of thing, and you know, giving concrete evidence and plans is a good idea. We also find that people are much more likely to forward messages if they know, if they have a vivid idea of you know, what's going to happen to it. Um, initial international criticism has already driven the president to call for a review. Uh, you know, evidence that something is already working is really effective. Uh, we had a whole section about provisions of the law, and at the bottom of the email we had a link to the PDF of the actual bill, so people could read it, you know, see what's actually going on. And then uh, a whole segment about how, you know, about the opposition to this law in Uganda. Um, in this case, you know, one of the keys to it is that um, proponents of the uh, of this bill in Uganda are claiming that um, gay rights is, you know, a, a Western imperial position and that they're defending Uganda's culture from, from you know, against people outside. Um, but in fact, there's a tremendous movement within Uganda opposing it, and that's the, the, the group that we're standing in solidarity with. Um, it's, you know, useful to have, like if, essentially if you read an email and it's a little bit unconvincing to you, it's a good idea to find some things to support. Uh, try to avoid the temptation to put in every supporting and buttressing fact you can imagine. Um, although, Funnily enough, the, the only thing that really matters in terms of length, again, is what's above the first link, because that's all that most people read. Uh, as long as it's short and concise and convincing above the first link, you can put in a huge amount of stuff underneath, and it doesn't change the reaction that much, um, except that it makes people feel tired when they look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> salutation. Uh, this is something that. So this is a typical end. Uh, <coughs> slot. Uh, this is a typical ending from an Abaz email. Um, typically, it's it's kind of a uh, a general practice. I'm not sure if it's really a best practice or not. That the groups um, have emails come from individual people and they're signed off by members of the team. <coughs> One of the nice things about that is that um, staff and people tend to invest themselves a lot in making something great if their name is literally attached to it. Um, GetUp in Australia, a group that sort of works on a similar model, everything's signed just by GetUp, and you know, they've done well, so I wouldn't be too wedded to this, but it's a nice, I think it's a nice thing to do. Um, uh, and then this is a, an example of a movement story um, pulling back from this immediate restitutinity to the larger frame of um, this kind of crisis of homophobia and, and laws criminalizing um, gay people and how this campaign is a, an effort in part just to demonstrate the, the breadth of opposition. Um, in this email, I forgot to put a PS, but uh, this is the kind of PS you might do. And then, you know, once again, you have your link. So that, that is the anatomy of an email that went. Uh, did, did pretty well around the world. 100,000 people signed. Um, this petition, we're not previously subscribers to a boss, so um, we were able to track how many people it's forwarded to, and it's uh, been forwarded more than a, you know, a million times before. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the subject that you put, and also can you say whether you always send out emails in English, or do you do it in other languages as well? Sure. So we send emails actually in 14 languages, and you can sign up on our site for whichever language you like. 
Uh, six or seven languages we said in most of our campaigns, and then some, uh, many uh, fewer. Um, basically because the, we have the, uh, we have seven languages of sort of capacity within the team, and we have to um, work with volunteer or paid translators for others. Um, the subject lines we test. So that's another instance where large email list helps, but even though the smallest, it's worth sending, um, you know, sending random, uh, random samples with a bunch of different subject lines, and it can make a significant difference. Um, in this campaign, uh, we had several that were just about the law itself, and then Save Frank's Life, I think, did like 15 or 20 percent better than, um, you know, Stop the Uganda um, Death Law or, you know, different types of things. So, uh, there's, there aren't really great rules for subject lines, except that relatively short is good. Um, one thing that this, this doesn't do is um, to give some opportunity for your readers to figure out what the email is about before they open it. Um, especially for things like fundraising, that's actually usually a pretty good idea. You might not get as many people opening it, but more people will wind up taking the action because they can, you know, if funding to stop, uh, you know, <coughs> funding to save the ocean is something that they're interested in doing, then somebody find like donate to help save our oceans gives them a chance to, you know, to select them. Yeah. So, a couple of questions. Uh, so, one on the subject, do you always have something standard that's always there, like let's say a Wazdar or COVID, whatever you, or do you not have that? So, this, uh, <coughs> okay, so up there you can see Save French Life is the subject line, Alice J. Abaz.org is the sender name. So, all of our messages come from oh, so the name of the person and then Abaz.org. I see. Yeah. So instead of putting in the subject, it's in the sentence. Yeah. Second question was, so in terms of links, have you noticed if one of the other, one of those these two work better, just a link that's sort of saying click here with the link on here, or a link like this one? So the reason why we use this, and not everyone does this, uh, is that um, a lot of people are using non-HTML elements. So in this case, we actually recently we had. You can see the question mark VL at the end. Yeah. So we can see that um, something like five to ten percent of our um, clicks are coming from uh, more like five. They're coming from people where um, like the VL isn't in the underlying link. That's only for people who actually are using non-HTML email programs. Um, and so we can see that if if it, if, it, if it said well, you'll see an example in a second. It doesn't do this. Basically, the link can break if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't work like that. Um, so we try to put the actual URL. The other nice thing about that is people can like copy it and just message it to each other. Or, okay. You know, it makes it, it makes it easier for people. <clears throat> can yeah. you talk about testing in a little more detail? So how do you actually get the data? Like when you say we tested that. So yeah. How does that actually work? So uh, in this case, so basically there, there's, there's there are programs. Um, uh, there's lots of different sort of toolkits that you can use for for uh, in the purple world. It's called email marketing for. In my world, it's online organizing, um, and those tend to have. Um, I can show you a page in our, our backend after the after the slideshow, but essentially we can send we can choose a few different subject lines and send the email simultaneously, and it sort of cycles through the different subject lines and shows us the open rate for each of those different versions. Um, so we can say, you know, this one has 1,100 people open, this one has 1,200, and then um, when we send the email to the full list, we'll send we'll do we'll do whatever did best. Um, the, and I, if you 
are looking for a program to use. The good, the good cheap one is called MailChimp. M-A-I-L-C-H-I-M-P. Uh, it's just very user-friendly and easy, and it's all web-based. Uh, and if you want a really awesome one, uh, you should use Action Kit. Um, Action Kit is a um, uh, was developed by the people who made MoveOn.org tools, and it's um, it's great for online campaigning. Sometimes the things that only works. Those are basically both English. Um, for uh, our system was was sort of custom built for us, and unfortunately, to my knowledge, it's the only system that really does lots of languages, global online organizing well. Um, so if you're looking to do this in, um, in multilingual areas, then we should talk afterwards about where you get started. Yeah. In terms of strategy, once you decide which which works the best, do you send just that one, or you target and segment your audience? And another question: Is there a way to change just a little bit, like the signature? One of the studies says that people are more likely to answer the email when the initials of the of the name actually, which is at the top, are the same of uh, like the receiver. So can you target? I mean, it's a, it's we, very serious study. Yeah, so there's, there's this study that's done that finds that people uh, respond more to emails that seem to come from someone with the same initials as them. And also that they respond more if it comes from someone with the same name as them. Uh, we could do that. Uh, we don't. We think it's a little creepy. <laughs> the other thing is that, you know, at our end, like, there are whole teams of people that work on, on different campaigns, but Alice J actually led this campaign. She was on the phone with Frank for, you know, hours in the week before sending this. And for us, you know, when you send an email from a Vaz, you can actually, like, this is, this is a, a secret I have. This doesn't spread too much on the internet. But if you write, um, if you write back to a message like this, you'll get an automatic response that says, you know, we can't read responses to every message. Use the avaz.org slash contact web form. But if you write back with Dear Alice, it'll be forwarded to Alice. To the actual Alice. And if you write back, dear Ben, it's forwarded to me. And so in the that's subject or in the first you know, just in the first line. You have people with, with every name: A, B, C, D. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is that there's okay. the the actual sort of personal uh, connection and communication is a big part of making this work. And online organizing is is a lot about listening as, as well as <coughs> writing and communicating. We read. Uh, we have people that. Uh, on the team that read all the messages sent through our web form and send summaries to the rest of the team. Um, we see some samples of responses. We, we do polls regularly and read through the responses. And it's just incredibly important for keeping us, for keep, you know, um, our, our sort of ethic is that we, we serve our membership as opposed to them, you know, doing stuff for us. And so knowing, having a sense of what it is that they want to do um, is, is a tremendous guide. Yeah. Um, is there a reason you guys start your emails with your friends instead of your personalized name or whatever? That's a good question. Uh, the discussion on our team is that, and there's a diversity of opinions about this, but the feeling is that uh, if it says, like, Dear Rwan, uh, for example, um, that you, you actually know that, you know, whoever's sending this didn't actually know it was to you. And you sort of know that lots of people are getting it. So some people feel like it's sort of markety, like feels a little bit like a fake thing to, to put the person's personal name in it. Um, I think, you know, in the US it's pretty standard practice to put the person's individual name, and it's sort of like a, I don't know, somehow it's okay, but it's a, it's, it is a little bit artificial. I would argue that your friends makes you feel more like you're a part of a community. Yeah, yeah, good. which is good. And that's one of the sort of things about Avaz's email writing style 
is to write um, in the first person plural voice, us and we, and to write, and, and the we in this case is all of us who are receiving this email and also myself sending it. Um, it's not, you know, it's not, hey, will you please help me, us at Avaz, go do this thing. It's, let's let's do this together. And that's like very intentional, and that's kind of how we try to approach organizing it. Um, other people use second person singular, so it's like, um, when I woke up this morning, I couldn't believe what I saw on the front page. Um, you've got to help me take this on. I think whatever voice you use, as long as it's sort of authentic and consistent, I think it's a good idea. The, the worst thing is uh, the worst thing is something that feels really artificial and fake. So speaking of that, um, I'd like to talk about a bad email. Uh, so this is a, a, uh, an email I received this summer. Um, it's, uh, the Alliance for Climate Protection has gotten much much better in their online organizing, so I wish them no disrespect. Um, but I think it might be uh, a useful thing that uh, folks can, can read this, or I can click to the next slide and you can see the first, uh, the above the link text is larger. Um, and then just to, we can talk a little bit about why this doesn't, doesn't seem to work quite as well. Um, so why don't, I, why don't I click forward and you can uh, take a second to read it here and then I'd like to I'd welcome ideas from people about things that this doesn't do so well according to the uh, secret magical formula of online organizing. Thoughts about maybe what this could improve on? Yeah. Well, you have to read for a while before you figure out what they really are getting. Yeah. And not not even like what their ask is. Yeah. But even what they're getting. Yeah. There's nothing in the first paragraph. The first paragraph is just like even remotely anything to get. Yeah. Uh, the ask is written in passive voice, like, will you help us, yeah. instead of just asking directly. Um, and then it's also just not very clear. It just says, visit our web website and learn how you can help. Yeah, um, how so, can you help? There's yeah. no, you don't know what help means in this case. It could be anything. When you go to the website, it actually was anything. Yeah. Well, the goal is enormous. It's very good. There's, no, there's nothing specific. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this isn't even, like... Yeah, so this has kind of all the hallmarks of a bad online organizing. There's, there's, uh, it has a kind of a fake peg to the moment, which is, it's 40 years after something unrelated happened, uh, which is not a tremendously uh, urgent or inspiring thing. It's uh, making an argument about, it reads like an op-ed in a sense, like a, not a great op-ed, but it's sort of, uh, it's kind of like arguing a general point, and this is something that's, I think one of the biggest differences between online you know, email writing, essentially, and other types of writing is email is not a persuasion medium. It's not something where you are going to convince somebody that something is important. You can give them some 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 facts that they might not have known that might you know get them to want to do something. But mostly, uh, for this type of organizing, what you want to do is make the case to people that that they can do something important now, not that it, not that an issue is important in general. If an email feels like it's hectoring, people just you know you close it and want to want to make it go away. And uh, this is like saying we need more jobs, we need to do right by America. Uh, it really doesn't give me any like opportunity to 
to do something meaningful. I, I don't need to be told that by my whoever's sending me email. Um, the yeah, and you can you can see it as it goes down. It, it doesn't actually like in a sense the whole thing is like a movement story, um, which which might make sense to put at the bottom of the message as kind of a way to to, to rouse and inspire people. But this um, uh, instead is the whole thing, and it doesn't. And it doesn't ask for one specific clear action. So, uh, <coughs> I, I uh, urge you to, to um, celebrate by helping bring to the world more fillet type email, um, and uh, try to avoid sending spam email. Um, the you know the the potential that can come from it is just gigantic. Avaz is now four million members. Um, the Obama campaign got to 14 million members, and these are, the lists are entirely built by people reading emails, feeling you know moved or connected to them in some way, and, and forwarding them to somebody else who then who then takes the action. Um, in a sense, online organizing can be a stem cell um, uh, that can grow into anything that you you might need it to be. If there's anything where lots and lots of people can make a difference, um, it's a way that you can you know have a, a huge group of people that's that's connected and, and does. Um, but the key to it all is, is um, at the heart of it is this sort of basic respect for, for people's time and, and, and figuring out you know, what it is that, that connects to what they want to do and giving them the opportunity to do that. Um, the, uh, the, um, I think the thing that cuts across email and this, this idea about Facebook, that the, the heart of the power of Facebook is giving people stuff that they can share, is that um, uh, it's not about talking at people, it's about uh, empowering people, giving people the opportunity to, to actually do stuff. Um, and that's kind of why sort of websites in themselves are kind of, uh, I think, inert. They're, they rely on people coming to visit your page and just sort of see what's going on, uh, as opposed to a, a, a conversation, even if it's a, a kind of weird conversation that comes in the form of uh, action alerts and occasional polls and surveys. Um, uh, you know, creating a, a two-way mechanism and then uh, you know, giving people things to do is the, is the heart of it. Um, that's the, that's the, uh, the core of what I wanted to say. If you come away with nothing else, I urge you to, to remember this and to try to diagram, if you're going to send an email like this, to, to, to try putting it against a, a formula like this and make sure these elements are in there. Um, and uh, I'd be delighted to answer any questions. Yeah. Um, can you give a little bit more detail on why save the story till the end? Because there's so many times when people start off email campaigns by trying to hook people in with some type of emotional story. So, so when I say movement story, um, what I mean specifically is like just the bigger picture story of like if this if the email is about a particular moment, the movement story is about how this is part of a larger movement. Oh, got it. Um, starting. I actually think you know, there's there's often a temptation to start with a vignette at the beginning of a message. I actually think it's it's a um, or well in our testing we find that people tend to respond with some something that clearly illustrates what the crisis or opportunity is. When we send a message that starts with like an illustrative example, uh, people start reading it, don't know what it is, and, and move on in their inbox. Um, the, the kind of moving individual story. Is better underneath it. It's more like an AP. It's like a it's like a newspaper story where you want to have the lead read. Right yeah. Do you use uh, text messages? So we 
um, are excited about text messages. Uh, there are more than two billion people who have mobile phones that like, use text. And lots of places it's much more widespread than email. The thing with text messages is that they don't, um, they don't kind of scale as well. And by that I mean uh, emails are free to send, text messages cost a little bit each. Also, people don't forward text messages to large groups of people. Like the way that um, for organizations that have large SMS lists, they tend to come from people being in the same place at the same time and asking everybody to, to sign up for a text at that moment. And like, for example, a YouTube concert. Bono would say, everyone take your phone out, you know, text this number, and then you can see the list of people texting it on, the, on a huge screen. Um, it's very rare that you'll receive a text message that um, so excites you that you'll then forward that text message to everyone in your text message address book. And so it's difficult to build a to sort of an organization or an ongoing relationship on text alone. What text is great for is kind of in addition to, to email, um, uh, you can use it uh, like at the Copenhagen Climate Summit, we set up a, uh, an SMS system so all the kind of NGO and activist people uh, and, you know, from NGOs were all subscribed and someone could send a message and say, um, you know, I'm protest outside of the, you know, such and such place uh, in one hour and everyone would show up for it. Um, it's really useful when people are geographically proximate uh, or when there's some kind of super breaking piece of news. Uh, Greenpeace Argentina used uh, their, their SMS list to have uh, thousands of people call and text a legislator while he was testifying against a environmental protection law that he was uh, uh, opposing. Um, and so, you know, sort of ruined his day a little bit, but also helped defend the law. And that was something that um, people read emails over a long period of time, whereas text messages people get. Right. Right. No, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. Yeah. But have you guys looked? I mean, so I'm looking at it from the perspective of India where emails online. People who are online are using emails in a much, much smaller proportion of the people who have cell phones. Yeah. Especially for political campaigns, text messages would become very important. That's why like, they still have all the cost and all that. But if you were to think of this in the context of text messages, have you guys done any research on what an effective text message would have If you were to yeah. um, there's it's, it's, it's tricky, right? Like, there aren't that great practices for it. Um, I've looked at sort of every you know person in group that we can find. Twitter, funny thing with Twitter, it tends to actually have a link, and then people click the link and go to a page with more information or can do an action. Um, the with text messages, people you know your target audience are people who are not sitting at computers; they're people who are sitting their phones. And so or some people might actually be something that actually have internet on their phone. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you can actually get an SMS, click on it. I mean, if you have an iPhone, then you can. But if you have an iPhone, you can also get email. Like the the, the the types of actions you can organize through SMS are like mass call-ins or people showing up at a location. Um, you can do um, Amnesty International in Norway has a 20,000 person text message list that they raise money from because people um, consent to pay like 30 cents each every time they respond to a text from it. And so they can say like, respond if you want to donate to this thing or whatever. Um, it's uh, it's I, I, I'm still wanting to see, and we're we're looking very actively to see whether there's ways a way to build a kind of um, SMS um, large organization that's you know that, that's sort of text centric. Mm -hmm. um, but in from everything that we've seen, it's really something that is can extend uh, an online community that's that's really especially centered on email, where you have lots of channels to to reach people. Um, Having, having something that, you know,
creating a sort of a buzz that's all SMS based would be really yeah, not something we would love to do if you if you see a way to do it. Yeah. Have you had any experience with creating online databases um, to link people and create an online community? Um, the, tell me a little bit more about what you So, for example, if you want to network a group of people, um, <coughs> say there's a group of a thousand people or an alumni group, um, what have what are kind of the best tools to use? Is it a database where everyone can input their information and then connect? Uh, is it going through an existing LinkedIn or a Facebook group? Um, kind of what are the tools to bring different people together that you have found have been effective? Well, let me first ask if you can guess which tool I would recommend above all others. Email. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the, uh, and, and specifically, like, so email, if you look at like a Google group or this, you know, a discussion list, mm -hmm. the thing that inevitably happens is that the people with the most time on their hands send the most emails and everybody else, you know, disengages. Um, the, you know, setting up a, a, a Facebook group or page can be great. Um, after you get to 5,000 on a Facebook group, you can't actually send messages to all the members. Um, and if you're not sending messages to people's inboxes on Facebook, they tend not to, they're, they're very unlikely to see them. Email is really the only medium where you can get to any size and still send a message to everybody that sits there until they've dealt with it. Um, so, you know, getting to that size, you know, you have to, you have to find some reason why people would sign up. Um, and you can, I mean, the, the, the very simplest thing you can do is set up a Google spreadsheet. Uh, and from Google spreadsheets, you can make a form. Uh, and on that form, uh, you just press create form on the top, and from that form you can have a, you know, different sign-up fields, including email addresses, that you can you know, send people from your personal email uh, folder. And we've done that, you know, sometimes for, like in a particular city when we're organizing volunteers there, we'll, um, we'll, set up, we'll set up a page like that for a volunteer organizer and, and email our members, and everything will sign through that way. Um, but once you, know, once you have someone's email address, you can ask them to do all kinds of things, and it's, it's a, it's a um, you know, it's like having their phone number. Like, you can you can keep pestering them until they they, they don't want you to. And you, if you want to have a good relationship, you shouldn't pester them. But it's uh, it's a, it's it's it doesn't have walls in the way that things like Facebook or, or other social networking sites do. What about linking? I mean, maybe you do want to create a wall sometimes. If you want to create like a exclusive community and linking people in between. Yeah. Have you found a difference between something like LinkedIn or Facebook or a different just a database that you make? Um, we, I mean, if you want people to be able to communicate with each other, I mean, you can do something like Ning, N-I-N-G, which allows you to create a sort of social network, um, a self-standing social network. Okay. Um, the, the, the thing that we tend to find over and over, and we try every technology uh, we can find late at night, is that uh, people tend not to actually spend time on sort of websites or in communications media that are outside of their daily routines. And so, like Facebook is an increasingly large people, part of people's daily routines. But if it's a if it's a special site for you know Kennedy School alumni, uh, people just don't go there and check it very often. Like unless they're unless they really don't have anything else going on, um, they're going to be they're in their email boxes because they actually do work there. Uh, and so the you know one one sort of good thing to do is to have a. Uh, 
an email list where people can send in updates, and then you can include all those updates when you send an email onto the list. Um, but just, you know, I think the, the thing you want to, um, one thing you want to do is not punish the people who only have a little bit of time to invest. Um, especially if you want to get all the large group of people, you want to make it, you want to have a level of, a way for people to engage that only takes a little bit of their time. Um, and I think stuff like Facebook can be um, useful for higher amounts of engagement, but we, I mean, we're all probably members of lots of different Facebook groups that don't actually play a role in our lives. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> when I open my Facebook, you know, I just look at the first page. I'm sure tons of people are sending so many things. I don't go to the older posts, old posts. How can you, if you want to post things, how can you make sure that all your quote-unquote friends read it? On Facebook? Yeah. You can post over and over. <laughs> I mean, the, the, uh, the fact that, so you can send messages. If you look at a, you know, this. Um, right. So if you go to a Facebook page, you can you have a little <coughs> box. Or we can steal the trials sometimes. So. Thank you. So here's Facebook for right now. Um, so up here you have your like notifications of what people you know want to do or, or, or have been doing. These are actual messages, mm -hmm. um, and this is like a message from a an activist thing. Um, and those messages people actually see. The problem is that those messages you can only send messages to people's inboxes if you have less than five thousand um, members of a, of a Facebook group. That's problem number one. Problem number two is. Uh, these messages are kind of annoying. Like, Facebook has a really bad interface to, to handle messages, and in our, in our experience, people are less responsive to these than they are to, to regular emails. <coughs> the, the last thing, which is the, uh, the, the sort of bigger channel, um, is updates. And as you say, you only see certain updates that appear in your newsfeed. There's a ton here. I can keep going down. You know, this is all today. Um, and I'll never see the vast majority of Facebook updates. So if you want people to actually see something, I mean, the best thing to do is to call them or find them in the street. The second best is to email them. The third or tenth best is to post a Facebook update. Um, that said, you know, Vaz, like, Vaz's Facebook strategy right now we mostly try to get people to share stuff through their own Facebook feed because you know, some fraction of, of a lot of people's friends is better than just just our own. But then we also have a Facebook page that we, where we post updates. And we also um, uh, now are experimenting with creating pages around specific, particular causes that can grow in themselves. Um, the, one of the great things about email is that if you join a Boz, if you sign up for an Boz campaign around uh, the, the climate change in Copenhagen, we can email you about a different issue a week later. And you, know, you might just delete the email, you might unsubscribe, but very often we find people 
have interests that span lots of different issues. Um, with with Facebook, it's much harder to do that because people um, people actually be, like people tend not to be interested in a vase as a vase. They're interested in a vase around particular campaigns. So uh, on Facebook, you either have to become a fan of a vase, which is you know a higher bar, or you like become a fan of a particular Facebook. Uh, campaign that we're running, and then we've, it's very hard for us to actually contact you again to, to about a different campaign. Um, maybe there's some way. Yeah. yeah um, so I'm interested in what, when you guys decide to take up some issue or cause, how do you guys actually define success when you're looking back to see what impact you guys had, if you guys had any impact at all? Like yeah. what metrics do you use to measure it? And also when it comes to emails, like what's a good percentage of emails that have to be open for that to have been a successful email? Yeah. And other sorts of metrics. Uh, that's a, that's a, um, those are excellent questions. The, the biggest thing, like ultimately the reason, the, the point of all of us campaigns and the buzz's existence is to make a difference in the world. And <coughs> our, our mission, uh, our humble mission is to close the gap between the world we have and the world most people everywhere want. Um, figuring out whether the gap is being closed by a particular action is very hard. That uh, doesn't mean we, you know, <coughs> try to figure it out. It does mean that it, the indicators are really diffuse, and a lot of it is like coming up with our best idea and then talking to the people involved. And you know, you can look at press coverage, but press coverage often doesn't tell the real story. Sometimes, if your if your targets are friendly decision makers, you can ask them. Um, although they might be interested in telling you you've made a bigger difference than we thought. They're unfriendly decision makers, they'll almost never admit they had an impact. Um, one good indicator is if you're targeting someone hostile or a, you know, targeting someone who doesn't want to do the thing you want them to do and they react in some way, that's usually a good sign that they're noticing. Um, like we did a, um, uh, after the, after, um, uh, uh, Year in Sudan was indicted by the International Criminal Court. Um, he dismissed the criminal court as a Western conspiracy. And we ran newspaper ads in neighboring countries that showed Bush and him. And they said, uh, What do they have in common? They don't hate the International Criminal Court. And, uh, you know, he didn't turn himself in, but he did start calling all the editors of the newspapers in the region and asking them to run the ad and uh, had people write furious letters to the editor that they, they did run the ad. That, that suggested to us that there was some impact kind of through. Um, measuring impact is, you know, and then sometimes you win, and then you have, you, you can't tell what, how big a role you played, but that's, you know, we want every campaign that can go great. Um, in terms of the things we can measure are our members' actions and all the things that generate numbers. So we look at uh, the open rate, typically an email gets open 15 to 20% of the time. Um, open rates actually have, more to do, they sometimes have something to do with like the, whether the topic that you're working on is something that's really hot for people, um, but they, you know, sometimes they have to do with like how quickly your email is delivered by the internet service provider, things like that. The big metric we really care about is what percent of people who open the email take an action. And on that, um, you know, if it's a, if it's something simple like signing a petition or, or writing to a government, uh, then basically a third 33% is our, is our threshold for, for whether it's in, in a, you know, acceptable, strong range. For things like donating, uh, it's, 
it's a, a much smaller percent. Um, there's some emails we ask people to organize events or you know parties or protests or um, you know do quite make a video do really complex things. And in those cases, uh, you know we try to like <coughs> I think for a fundraiser it's a strong response if we raise like 35 cents per email opened on average, but that's still a very small fraction of all the people that open the email donating. Um, and for, you know, for asking people to organize a candlelit vigil in the middle of December, uh, especially in Northern Hemisphere countries, um, there is no kind of good benchmark. Um, however, we often will send uh, polls where we ask people, like, what do you think of this email, and just get responses in that way to, to get a sense of, of you know, whether people are in So what about newsletters? So, uh, my, I, I, I'm not an expert in newsletters, so I can just offer my thoughts. My uh, advice for newsletters would be to have an above the link thing and then have the rest of the newsletter. Okay. So essentially, if there's one thing that's particularly exciting, useful, entertaining, mm -hmm. like, give me, let me, you know, see and digest that before having to dig into the seconds of the whole thing. Um, that's the... Like people interact in a, a very brief way for stuff, and I think giving one of the temptations with um, anything online is to try to try to give people um, make people get through the medicine before they get to the sugar. Um, but actually, I think giving them the sugar right up front is, is the best way to you know people can always just turn you up, tune you out, and so uh, making it a satisfying experience just to read and see the quote of the day at the top of the newsletter or whatever, and then they can stay with the other stuff if they want to. So, but you guys don't send newsletters. We don't send newsletters. We, uh, you know, we're always sort of trying to evaluate how much time to spend in our emails talking talking about what did happen versus talking about what's going to happen. In general, the member response is much stronger to opportunities to do something as opposed to report backs about other stuff, you know, stuff that happened in the past. So we generally every sort of couple of months we'll send a report back either about some a specific awesome thing that happened or about a, a big thing. Um, something our members tend to really enjoy is um, when they have a page where people can post comments and see what everyone else has posted. And so sometimes we'll, you know, at the end of the Copenhagen Summit, we had a page where you could see a slideshow and videos of vigils around the world, different actions, and then there was also a kind of comment board. And I think like 55,000 people posted different, you know, comments to each other. And it's cool to see comments rolling in. There's a tool called scribblelive.com uh, that basically is a real-time ticker of comments as they're posted and that can sort of Google translate into whatever language. So ScribbleLive is, is our friend. Facebook also has an embeddable little thing like that. <coughs> but generally, um, we always have this impulse to, to tell stories about all the stuff we're doing, but actually um, the, I think the biggest sort of use that people have for, for, for our emails is opportunities to, to take actions as opposed to learn about them. Yeah. Um, I have a question just, about, I guess, about timing and timeliness for the, the crisis that you use. So for something that's a real long-term campaign, so yeah, I guess the most recent thing would be like the healthcare debate. Yeah. Um, like how, what, um, what metrics are you using out of Oz to evaluate when is the time to activate the list? Um, when can you get the biggest bang for your buck? I mean, I know it's an art, not a science, but yeah. any advice yeah. you have would be really great. The key thing is finding moments along the way. And so that can be something as 
like for healthcare, you could do when someone's going to testify, or when a committee's going to meet, or when someone's going to go on TV. There's um, uh, working next door to me is a friend with the uh, Progressive Change Campaign Committee or Coalition, uh, and I've been doing a lot of work on healthcare for the last kind of month. They've been working on getting more and more senators to sign this letter supporting the public option. And every time a senator signs on, they send another email saying like, momentum, you know, senator such and such signed up. Uh, having having some basis for sending an email at a particular moment is is good, but it doesn't have to be that strong. Like, I mean, is that tied to something in the real world? Tied to action to something in the real world? If there's absolutely nothing going on on the issue, you could say, there's been nothing on this issue for a long time. Let's make this Friday a moment that actually gets things started again. But, you know, not making, like, you, and you can create moments like that if, you have, if there's enough kind of juice around doing it. But uh, I think you know, the most useful thing is to look for, look for, look, look for or create little hooks for stuff and, and build off of those, as, a, as opposed to saying it's three months until the big day. Let's, let's work towards that. If you look at like, political campaigns, you know, they, they, uh, if every email was about election day, there'd be no way to have two years of, of email going after that moment. Instead, it's like, our quarterly fundraising report is about to be filed, <coughs> how strong we are, or we just opened up our first office in Idaho. Like, let's, like, you know, raise some money and show the Idahoans that we care about them, too. Like, you know, have, have, have stories that it feels like something's happening as opposed to kind of a uh, march towards the light of the other yeah. I don't know if you can comment on this, but there's a sense that Obama's network has kind of stalled out. Yeah. My sense is that they're just pumping out more and more emails, I and mean, that's a two a day, and rarely look at them nowadays. Is there any thoughts, that, or are there any thoughts that you have on, on this? Yeah. Uh, personal disclosure that emails are, um, some good friends of mine are involved in those emails, so probably have a skewed perspective. But, uh, yeah, Another no. disclaimer, most of the Kennedy school actually is on the Obama email list uh, this year, so yeah, we're yeah. all getting those emails. <laughs> so the, um, I mean, the hardest thing, the hardest thing is when people sign up for one thing, and then that thing happens, or you move to the next thing, and then they're still on your list, and you're still having to for stuff. So for Obama, that was pre- and post-election, and in a sense, uh, you know, it's just a, a totally different universe. And, one thing that's surprising is the fraction of actions being taken, funds being donated, events being organized by people now who weren't on the list before the election. It's actually, in some ways, a quite different community. And so if you haven't done anything with their online you know, organizing tools since the election, you're still receiving the messages. And it's you know, the, the uh, organizing for America team is hoping to, to, to pull you into stuff, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different space and the energy is different. That said, you know, they, they're, some of the things they've done have, have been pretty successful, and I think that the the fight that they're in right now around healthcare has been like there's just a whole lot of people that are you know really invested in trying to make it happen. I mean, is this a case of less might be more though? I mean, if, if, if they slowed it down, yeah, and 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 were more selective, would they have gotten a bigger impact? So I know uh, one huge organization did a, a long-term test where they segmented. Uh, I think a few hundred thousand people to receive just you know maximum of like an email a week, and then another large group of people who they sent as many messages as they wanted. And they found for the, the group that they sent lots of messages to, their reaction per email went down a lot, but the total number of actions that they took went up. 
so you know you can you can vote with your clicks in a sense uh, if, if you don't like that strategy. One thing that um, like if you try to unsubscribe from Amazon.org, you, you can do it. But first, you'll see a screen that says, "We don't want to lose you. Would you like to sign up for our only once a week list?" Uh, and then you'll get less email. And that's you know for a lot of people that's uh, that's all that. I don't know if Organizing for America has that. We're thinking about that whether to go in that direction of the boss, but um, our, our our general approach has been to try to send a, uh, a little bit less except for major moments. Um, so it's 7.30 now. Um, I think this has been an incredibly value-adding exercise, I know, for me at least, and um, I hope you guys can all join me in thanking you. Ben's mentioned that he has about five or ten minutes left, so if you guys want to come and approach him with sort of individual questions about your own online campaigns that you might be working on or questions that you have, I think he's, he's welcome yeah. to chat. And I just wanted to let you guys know the next digital workshop in this series will be on March 31st, and it will be by Nico Mele, who is an adjunct lecturer here at Kennedy So I hope you guys can join us. Thank you so much. It's been really terrific questions. Take some remaining food as well, because I'm going to throw it away if you guys need